Hello and welcome to the Start Your Business podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to discover savvy insights from worldwide leaders in business. We ask them to impart their inspirational stories and advice on the subject of not only starting, but succeeding in business. Start your business. The podcast. The podcast. The podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Sylvia Entwistle. In this episode, I'm fortunate to be speaking with a man of many hats, including that of an executive coach, headhunter, marketeer, lecturer, and most recently, author, Stephen Bryant Langer. Stephen tells me about the transformative process he undertook in his career and life after being made redundant from his marketing position at Coca-Cola. This led to him developing a new life plan, which he's now put into print to share with us all. So Stephen, thank you for joining us. Please, could you tell us a bit more about your background? Sure. Uh, my name is Stephen Brian Langer. I've uh, lived in uh, both France, Denmark uh, and the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm 54 years old. I have four kids and uh, have worked with um, many different things actually over, over the years and reinvented myself continuously. Yeah. And that's why... Uh, so that have- brings you to this point where you've managed to release your book... Uh, on achieving success in life and business. That's right. Exactly. It's called The Personal Business Plan. Yes, and it's a uh, blueprint for running your life, and that's quite an ambitious title. Yes, it's a very bold statement. Exactly. Do you think it's really possible to have a one-size-fits-all plan for life? Well, actually, I've seen it work with uh, both students, housewives, uh, professionals, executives, uh, CEOs, people from boards, etc. So I've uh, seen some of the principles work with uh, many different, let's say, types of people. And I won't say that it's a universal solution, but I know that it works uh, quite well. I've carried through so many executive coaching programs together with uh, a varied amount of people. And uh, I haven't got one single person who hasn't been, you know, thrilled and, uh, and very much excited. So personally, I, I do believe that, that you can actually use some of the principles here. That sounds like a fantastic track record. Um, did you find it difficult when you were laying out the business plan and when you were writing the book? Or is it something that you've been using yourself as an instrument to your own success? I've been using it myself because uh, I used to work in um, FMCG, which is called Fast Moving Consumer Goods. So I used to work with uh, global market leaders like L'Oreal, for example, and, and Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point in '96, I was laid off. So there was two gentlemen visiting me from headquarters, and uh, they told me that, sorry, we're, we're sorry to inform you that you're no longer with the company. Oh. And that, of course, was a surprise. So I spent some time at home. Yeah. And um, what does a marketing person do when... Uh, being out of work, having four kids and a wife and two cars and, you know, obligations. Mm. I needed to find out how to solve my own situation. So I, I did what I do best, which has been planned. And uh, since I've been launching so many products worldwide, I used the same terminology and the, the same accountability and developed a plan, which has now become the personal business plan, which I actually use it for myself. So when I started... It had nothing to do with writing a book or publishing a book or being an executive coach. Yeah. It was simply a pure question of survival. And um, so I, I started, I've still got it, you know, from 96, from March, 26th of March, 19, or, uh, 1996 was <laughs> uh, the date I finished the, the, my first plan. And then since then, I've been using some of the experience from there and it, had, it developed into a framework and now a, a blueprint. But it, it has been very, you know, incremental and progressive. Yeah. Do you think that was a, a very uh, a strong turning point for you in your life? It was a free fall. So, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I simply needed to find something new. What, what I wanted was to, to find a new life situation where I could be independent and flexible and, let's say, lead my own life compared to being dependent on, on some major uh, corporate world mm. because I had found out that that was not very secure, even though I thought so. So the, um, 
my decision was to go into consulting and uh, I started working with business psychologists uh, actually for seven years, one of the best, uh, best groups of business psychologists I've known. And my wife even says that that is the best thing that ever happened in our marriage <laughs> because I used to, you know, uh, learn to use a different terminology, a, a more respect of what is going on, let's say, inside the mind of people rather than what is only to be seen on the surface. Yeah. Well, I was reading some of your book and um, I noticed you seem to have created a formula for happiness, yes. uh, which is uh, experience divided by expectation. Right. So uh, the summary of that from what I read was that we need to lower our expectations. Isn't that a bit pessimistic? Or increase the ambition uh, because, the, uh, of course, you, you can be happy by having very low expectations. Uh, but reality is what counts, and uh, you can also trump the expectations by overdoing what you're actually, uh, your ambition. And that is what I see in most successful people, that they are always on the look for something new, taking a new cycle in, in their lives. If you look at Madonna, for example, she's taken different, life ci different cycles over her career, which spans about 50 years now. Mm. And, um, that is what is actually... Uh, important to find a new driver, to find new energy, new pride in what you're doing. Mm. And looking at myself, what I've been doing, I was a, uh, a marketeer, uh, then I became a uh, coach, then I became a headhunter, uh, then I became a lecturer or speaker at conferences, then, then I've written a couple of books, and so now I'm an author. And, you know, this development means that you keep energizing yourself, you, you keep reinventing yourself. And, and the the energy created by putting yourself into a new context and actually dominating that context and being able to uh, find new experiences and always being just, you know, just at the limit of your comfort zone means mm -hmm. that you stay learning agile, you stay, you stay energized. And for me, that's what life is about, you know, experiencing something new and, um, and learning from the best. Yeah. Well, do you think that as a society we've become accustomed to expecting more? Do you think that that could be responsible for a lot of people's unhappiness? I'm absolutely convinced that many people tend to want it all now, and that is not possible. However, wanting it all progressively is possible. So what creates life crisis is very often that you want to have the instant gratification, which means you want to have a the perfect partner, the perfect apartment or house, the perfect kids, uh, the perfect job, the perfect future, whatever, all at the same time. And, and that is not possible. You know, there's a crunch sometimes in people's lives at, in the 30s where they expect everything to be perfect. And if we look at each other's lives and we all go through the same seasons in life, then we will experience that. Getting it all at the same time is not possible. However, there's one period, for example, for children, then there's another for, for um, career, then there's a third for being, let's say, uh, harvesting what you've sown. And you have to respect that, you know, incremental uh, perspective on life. And mm. I, in my book, I also include some uh, life cycle, typical life cycles, and there are different models for that. And the, the interesting thing is to try to piggyback on other people's experiences because we go through the same life with the same experience so why not read ahead and try to learn from the experiences of others and that's what i do in, in my book i simply condense you know, thousands of interviews i've, I've interviewed more than seven thousand people mm. uh, executives and, and different persons and i've coached hundreds and it's all that you know experience from other people that has been condensed into these living rules or rules of engagement in life yeah so obviously you mentioned the the cliched amb ambitions the american dream i suppose of having yeah. success in business a nuclear family um and all because you i quote we're worth it uh, do you think this is a criticism aimed at commercial marketing um, from your experience in the in the commercial marketing industry no i actually i think it's a uh, a question of trying to live up to other people's expectations. And that's one of the 10, uh, let's say, commandments that I put forward uh, looking at, at happiness. Uh, it is uh, freeing yourself from other people's expectations. Uh, lying on your dying bed, you know, one of the most common regrets is 
that I, I wish I hadn't lived up to other people's experience because nothing more counts there. Then it's only you know you and your loved ones and what you've done for yourself and and the, the, your nearest persons. It's not a question about the neighbors or the community or your your boss or whatever. You know your your, your CEO won't be sitting there at your dying bed. So it's a question of uh, focusing on what is important for you, what creates value for you in the long run, and being independent of other people's expectations. And that, that's when you see some developments, personal developments, that when people actually free themselves and they get rid of some of their self-limitations. One of the figures I use in the book is uh, Pinocchio, you know, with, with no strings attached, mm. which, which means that you can actually go through life with lots of lines, lots of uh, strings attached to your body and uh, without noticing how you're governed by others. Mm. If you can cut these, and, and that is, you know, some of the stupid things people have been saying to you when you were young, some correct, perhaps that you're not good at dancing or you're not good at math or whatever. If, if you keep that, you know, stuck into your mind, then you will never become good at it. You won't be able to reinvent yourself. So the, the uh, different verdicts that you receive during your upbringing, you should try to liberate yourself from them because most of the time you'll be able to actually say, well, that was perhaps a worthy criticism, you know, 10 years back or 15 years back, but I've changed. Yeah. One of the things I see quite often, actually, is that the people say that actually I'm, I'm quite introvert. And then I look at them, you know, perhaps successful executives, and I ask, well, you know, if, if you've been acting or being professionally extrovert for the last 20 years, does that mean you're still introvert? <laughs> and looking at attitude, looking at behavior, then most people say, well, no, actually, I probably should, you know. Change that. Redefine myself. And it's not, it's not because reality changes. It's simply your mindset, it's your attitude, it's the way you define yourself. Mm. But when we take on labels that an uncle or an aunt or a boss or a, somebody gave you or a, a partner gave you, you know, 15 years ago, it, it's probably possible simply to analyze it, to structure it, to register it, and then get on with your life. So do you think it's difficult for somebody to, um, to imagine themselves and then present themselves to somebody to explain who they are, for example, in an interview? Definitely. My typical opening question uh, to a person is, how would you describe yourself as a person, as a human being? Mm. If, if we're talking about a, uh, a position where I interview, for example, for a CEO or for a, another a position that working in my profession as a headhunter, then most people are quite you know, disturbed because, well, I thought we were going to do a job here. I thought we were talking only about a position. Mm. The important thing is actually the personality that the the person brings in and the perspective, the self-reflection. Actually, the, the um, blind spot of leadership is self-awareness, which means that the, um, the lack of self-reflection and the lack of insight into your own motivators, your own drivers, will lead you towards failure. Mm. Because you can succeed up to a certain level in your career, in your jobs, and then all of a sudden you'll get you'll, new resources will be needed and you won't know where to find them. You know, it's like a computer looking for a program that doesn't exist. Mm. It's very slow and nothing new happens. Whereas if you've reflected, if you're noted down, if you've used a different tools in order to be more self-conscious and self-knowing, self-aware, then you will actually be able to grow. And uh, we have one concept called learning agility, which means the ability to know what to do when you don't know what to do. Therefore, finding out in which situations, in which context you become um, insecure, you know, where, where you actually don't know what to do, and progressively find out how you react, what was effective, what was not effective, and therefore develop yourself in order to be able to cope with situations where you, by definition, know that you're not feeling secure. It's difficult. Yeah example is coming to a party you know you arrive one hour after most of the guests you come in there 
there's already an atmosphere. What do you do? Do you go around to say hello to everybody, or do you stand near the bar? Do you go near the near the door, the middle? And a common crisis. Common crisis, and some people know what to do, and some people don't. But actually, to be honest, you know, nobody is totally comfortable with the situation. Yeah. Because when when looking at change, when looking at something new, you know, our reptile brain always says that uh, this is dangerous. So uh, we have to fight that fear, that anxiety. And the best way of, fight, of fighting that is actually being aware of who you are and, and what you stand for. And also accepting that some conditions make you insecure. Yeah. Um, okay, so you cited that um, relationships and family were a very important source of this happiness. But isn't it really difficult while being self-employed to dedicate yourselves to building your business, improving your business. Surely a person needs to make certain sacrifices in their relationships to get where they want to be. Yeah, but I'm not looking at that as sacrifices because if you accept the word sacrifice, then you accepted the terminology of a victim. So I would more call it an investment. Mm. You know, looking at the future, looking at different phases of life, saying what is necessary now in order to be able to be rewarded later. So it's a sort of, you know, postponed gratification. And that is, that is also a question of maturity. Uh, but there's no doubt that you need to keep yourself to your fundamental values, which means if, it, if you have a partner, then you have to sh cherish that partner. If you have children, then you have to cherish the children, uh, even though you're launching a business. So there is some sort of focus that, of course, needs to be kept to the business, but there's definitely a fundamental focus that needs to be kept in the family. Remember, it's the family that's going to stay with you when you are on your lying, lying on your dying bed. Mm. And, uh, so there's no alternative. You know, you, you can walk walk away from a plane, plane crash, crash, but you can't work, walk away from, from family. Um, and I know that to some, I would sound, you know, very traditional looking at the nuclear family. And I perfectly accept that in modern society, the majority of households are uh, singles, which means that, for example, I saw that in Sweden and Denmark, the, uh, now the majority of households are single persons, which means that this dream about you know, the nuclear family might, not, might only be a dream, actually. Um, but again, that's my experience, that's what I hear, what I see. And um, if, if you are married or if you have a partner, you should probably not work so hard as to you know, get a divorce because... First of all, it's expensive, <laughs> and, and secondly, it's um, a detriment to your s success and your money. Yes, it'll destabilize you. And so, I, I, my point of view is actually that you can do both. You know, I'm not an either-or person. I'm a both-and person. An example is that at home uh, we had a um, major, you know, construction project. We needed to renovate the house. And uh, I needed to write this book because I had so much material and, and thoughts and input. And uh, I looked, uh, me and my wife looked each other in the eyes and said, well, do we do further renovation or do we do book? And, well, the, the um, conclusion was well, quite foreseeable that, no, we do both. And um, that's also a way of looking at life, at, that it's possible to, to be inclusive, not not necessarily uh, only do one or the other. To most of these dilemmas where you, where you um, ask the question, should I do this or should I do that? I can actually build a meta perspective where you can choose to do both, perhaps delayed in time or in priority, but it's not necessary always to choose between you two alternatives. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, having said that, I've, I loved your book, but the concept that I struggled the most with was that just as I've interviewed so many successful entrepreneurs and I've spoken to them about their lifestyle, um, you know, often I notice that some of them mention they are workaholics and, and you know, they might not necessarily have the best work-life balance. So there's a school of thought that suggests that burying yourself in your work is like burying yourself in the sand. But you can derive great pleasure from that, can't you? That's what it takes to be really successful, isn't it? And I'm, to a certain extent, I agree, but I would align it with my life ambition. So again, here, if you say, if you have this as a classical dilemma, 
with, uh, let's say, work taking all your time and your business development of a business taking all your time and your efforts and your energy, um, then you should look at your long-term perspective or ambition. That's what I, what I call the life ambition and find out, for example, in 20 years time, what, what do I aim for? Do I aim for both having a business and a family? And of course, if you only aim at building a business, then that's it, guys. Then you go for it. And you, well, I won't, I don't blame anybody. I don't point fingers at anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying one thing is better than the other. However, uh, one of the best known facts from all happiness research is that married people are the one out of two groups of people who are happier than others. And the married, I don't mean that they necessarily get to church and being married. They can be... Um, In a partnership. Partnerships, yes. And um, the other group of people who is consistently happier than the rest of the population is religious people. And if you look at what is characteristic for these two groups, it's the relationships, it's the trust, it's the health, it's the ballast or the, the uh, counterbalance you get by, you know, being able to discuss your point of views, having other inputs on a trustful basis, and therefore being able to develop your own more um, acute arguments. Mm. And to the, the community, the social environment means a lot. Therefore, if you don't have any meaningful relationships, the risk of burning out and actually you know, creating something which was not your ideal, even though you succeed in your business life, is, is a definite risk. Mm. Well, yeah, obviously, since the dawn of consciousness, man has always had to question their existence, their purpose. And your your book, everything you're saying is just uh, contributing to answering these age old questions uh, that religion has tried to answer. Yes. So would you agree that business is now a religion? Ah, Good point. Uh, interesting point. Um, I would substitute the word religion by a new word which I think very profoundly about and develop a lot of thoughts about. It's the existential perspective. And uh, I definitely think that the world is moving in a direction uh, where answers were first trying to be answered, or questions were first trying to be answered through um, religion. And then came a whole body of knowledge based on psychology and most recently during the last 10 years it has been positive psychology uh, and I think that is well uh, shortly or or progressively being eroded and um, substituted by a an existential point of view which means looking at life in a in holistic way mm. uh, so the the important thing, coming back to our previous noted uh, discussion about being a victim or making sacrifices, I would I would contrast that with my the newer way of looking at things, which would, would be choice. You know, making a choice. So the the old uh, discussion about um, the the limit and the power of our own choices, and there regarding entrepreneurship, I am absolutely certain that. The, um, when you choose to build a business, you choose to focus, you choose to put some energy, you don't see it as a sacrifice because it's simply necessary. Mm. It is because you, it's not because there's something else that you don't want, but you, but you can't, you know, you're so consumed by the ambition and the idea that it's impossible for you not to do it. And, and therefore it's a, it's a positive choice. It's not a something being forced upon you. And it's only when you reach as an individual this point of freedom where you can actually choose yourself, both something that is appreciated by the environment and something which is not appreciated by the environment, uh, that you get a, an existential, let's say, level of understanding. And that level of freedom is, in my view, what we're all trying to attain. And I know it sounds metaphysical, um, but I also know how gratifying it is to actually reach that state of mind. Mm. Do you think that there's a natural gene for entrepreneurship? Do you think there's a uh, an entrepreneur in everyone? Or are some people just much happier in large corporate environments? It's a good question. The, um, the one thing I'm certain that there is in every individual, 
And uh, I would definitely, I would say that that's part of our human genome or our uh, genetics uh, is the the need to develop, the need for self development, the need to find something worth uh, going for. And you know, you can call it purpose, you can call it life ambition, as I do. Uh, you can call it goal or target, but the the wish, you know, to stand on two feet when you come out as a baby and then progressively and then start running and try to beat yourself, etc. That challenge, that way of wanting something new uh, and excitement and experience, I would say that is innate. And entrepreneurship comes very close to that definition. Mm. So I would, you know, tend to say that, yes, we go in that direction. Uh, that we have something in it in order to create something creative. However, I would also say that society probably very fast, you know, puts a a lid on that. And 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 the most uh, clear example of that, and you, we've all experienced that, and it's touching every time. You know, you come across a, a young kid in a stroller on in the street, and what does a kid do? Well, the kid gives you a big smile. <laughs> And you smile back and then, and you know that two years later, that kid has stopped smiling. Mm. And, and, and that is probably what happens with entrepreneurship also. You know, you, you learn that, well, this is dangerous. This, you don't get any reward. You get a slap on your wrist and then you stop doing it. Um, so, yes, I, I think you know, it's, it's worth striving for entrepreneurship and it's worth striving for this energy and this um value creation and joy, happiness. And I know it sounds exalted, but it's, um, that's actually my, my opinion that it's worth going for something that you don't know exactly what is. I have a, a son-in-law who's uh, an entrepreneur and who is, uh, you know, fully focused on, on driving his business, launching it in the U S mm. and, um, it, it's so, you know, gratifying looking at his uh, wish for, for success and his, the intensity by which he develops different initiatives and how um, how pragmatic he is in his approach of actually making a a success scalable and also me- measurable, taking it into very clear uh, targets and measurements according to where he is in milestones. Yeah, well, I'm sure he's got a, a great guiding light with you on the other side of the phone. I'm 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 on this journey too, you know, because when I talk about reinventing myself, it's it's also a question of trying something new, you know. But when when becoming an author is like building a business and uh, and you know making speeches, and all of a sudden you compete in a different uh, workplace in a different market, and uh, so you learn a lot of new things that you didn't know. So mm-hmm. and that which is hugely, um, first of all, entertaining, and and secondly. You, you, you learn a lot from it from a personal point of view. So I'm, I'm very much, let's say, in, in the uh, entrepreneurial mindset because it is about trying something new and see what, what it does to you. Yeah, it's exciting. It, it is exciting. <laughs> and, and you used to ask me before whether people had a, um, a corporate gene. Some, some were better than others at, at being corporate. And um, sometimes, and since I'm myself in a corporate environment, sometimes I, I can see uh, that that what they what they say the corporate beasts of this world do is actually uh, simply transferring information. They don't necessarily come in with their own information. They navigate in a complex corporate system, and um, and does that create value? Well, no, only to some extent. So, so, and I saw one uh, MBA uh, school. It was Columbia University um, for their graduation, where they on a banner that was I saw written um, that don't become a corporate zombie, you know. So, so there's a risk <laughs> of being eaten, you know, by by the, the, the corporates. Or, yeah. And and I'm I'm happy now because I'm working in both. You know, I'm working as a as a as a coach, as a uh, as an author. But again, I'm working, you know, in Confair International, we're the world leading executive search company. And therefore, of course, that's corporate also. Yeah. But I, I think there's this excellent and gratifying balance between the personal life and the business life or professional life. And I, I would wish that everybody could you know, get that sort of a feeling. Yeah. So there's benefits to both, really. 
does. Yeah. Okay, well, you mentioned the the child in the stroller with a big smile on their face and that you expect to disappear in two years. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know. But uh, in your book, uh, in your final chapter, one of your closing points was start young and your advice was to start thinking young. But surely a person can change their perspective at any age. Yes, the, uh, this advice actually comes from Ted Turner. Uh, you know, the, the guy who launched CNN and uh, the turn of broadcasting. He says that his best advice in life was to start young. And uh, that means that there's always good reasons for not doing things. There's always some excuse for delaying or postponing or uh, not carrying out an initiative or something you need to do, call a person or buy a house or whatever. And uh, therefore, if you define that you want to go onto a, um, let's say a journey where you, where you transform yourself, where you reinvent yourself, then it's better to start early because you, you get into a certain um, state of mind where, where it's acceptable, where you, where you don't look at the downside, you don't look at the risk. However, you look at the upside and the opportunities. And for, to me, that's what life is about. We're not looking about uh, and what could go wrong, but actually enjoying what, what could happen if I leaned out, if I tried to uh, come out of my comfort zone. Mm. Uh, so the, uh, the stay young part, oh, sorry, the this, this start young part is more about running a risk from time to time. Mm. And instead of being afraid, because um, you'll never have the complete answer. You'll never have certainty that, you know, you're, adventure like you're starting a business that will would actually work it's uh, so, so uh, am i right in thinking that it just means you're just giving yourself a bit more time if you start earlier to make those mistakes and take those risks and and you find out how gratifying it is and you also get success which means you can fuel new adventures mm. but do you think that we're encouraging children younger and younger each year to have high aspirations and and does society's pressures on young people take away childhood ah, um well if, if you look at what has happened during the last year one of the discussions or themes that is uh, occurring reoccurring is uh, the uh, the toll of social media on younger people yeah it's so simply the fact that they seem to be in need of uh, profiling themselves up against their peers and looking better, greater uh, than, than the rest. And that, of course, puts a lot of pressure on them. So it, it's true that trying to live up to a digital identity must be extremely stressful. Mm. And, and uh, what we'll probably see and what we already now are see, seeing in the Generation, generation Z the newer generation is that they actually um, well try try to be not mobile, not accessible, uh, to not be online in order to choose themselves their their way of, of planning life. And but mm. I'm not saying ever that you know society is doing something to somebody. It's yourself that is doing something to yourself. It's your choice, you know. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody being on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. It's simply a question of a, you know, a sign of the times, and uh, you, you you ought to be able to choose freely. But of course, if if you feel better, you know, having been on Facebook that you did when you went on Facebook, then it's fine. If mm. you feel worse, then you should try, you know, to do something else. Do you think this constant communication that's available now is a good thing, or or is it better to be in touch with nature? I mean, what are the psychological benefits of being close to nature and the great outdoors? I think you should do both, actually. Yeah. When I look at my own children, I've got four children in the age of six to 18. The, uh, what I see is an extraordinary uh, ability to find answers extremely quickly. Um, it's a pleasure to see how open the world is to them and how competent they are in their belief in the, um, let's say, the, the search for knowledge or search, search for information. I'm simply in awe to see the capability, what, what they're able of. So therefore, I'm, I'm hugely 
in favor of you know being online, being getting input, getting impressions, getting inspiration, being challenged, looking at different you know cross cultural uh, diversity, getting getting yourself out there in order to learn and and progress and grow. Um, and I, I don't think that at all excludes the the uh, charm of you know having a a run in the woods. And uh, I actually in my book also explain the way I, I spend my own mornings. Uh, I, I tend to go running in the morning in the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to go swimming in the, in the sea in the morning. And um, wow. take, yeah, but then I take the train into the uh, into the city. I live in, in the city of Copenhagen. Yeah. And uh, I see deer uh, on the train, or not on the train, but through the windows. And at that point in time, you know, arriving at the office, and I've seen some some green from the sea. I've seen some green from the woods. I've seen some animals. Uh, I felt the cold from the water, the hot heat from running. And uh, it means that you, you get these natural impulses or um, impressions, and they stay in your body. And so I, I, need, I think you need to do both. If you only have the cerebral or the intellectual capability and the, what you call the downloading stream, you know, always being online, always getting loads of information. Um, mm. And then you, you need to balance that through a, a physical uh, experience and a natural uh, experience. Because one, again, without the other doesn't count. It'll, it'll burn you out. It'll stress you. Yeah. So on top of your five a day, you have to get a, a gulp of fresh air. Yes. And a splash of water in your face. Yes, you, you need to experience the world. You need to get some physical, you know, um, interaction and some some definite, what is that I'm looking for? It's not the word shock. It's the um, it's a confrontation or a, a clear... Uh, Simulation. Yeah, it is actually. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can understand that. Definitely. Um, so thinking about um the world then how important is it to have a corporate social responsibility strategy in your business and do you think this has an effect on your level of inner well-being and by this i mean obviously i mean giving to charity and being involved in the community to offset i don't know for example guilt of you know your business success yeah, well, what I uh, do in my book is talk about uh, the noble art of scaling. And uh, if you can imagine a, an arrow going from one side to the other, progressing up towards the, the right side uh, uh, with five different dots in, in that arrow. So you have five circles in that arrow. And down to the left, you have uh, the individual, that's you or me. Mm-hmm. Then you have, as a next level, you have a group. And at the third level, you have the organization. And on the fourth level, you have society. And on the fifth level, you have the world. Mm-hmm. So you have individual, group, organization, society, and world. And the uh, element, when you talk about CSR and guilt and feeling good, etc., you're doing philanthropical uh, enterprising, then you're all up in the world. That is something which, which is connected to a, to a meaning of purpose and a meaning of well-being. However... Um, I feel that the lack of guilt and the sense of strength come very much from reducing the friction between your individual objective, your peers or your group could be a group of entrepreneurs. The organization could be if you belong to a larger organization, a network or a a, a company, Mm -hmm. corporate. Then you have society, you have things that are going on in society, trends, it could be globalization, it could be you know, individualization, it could be digitalization, different trends. And then you have the world, what all of a sudden happens, you know, when Twin Towers went down or the wall in 89 in Berlin went down. You have events, or the Arab, Arab Spring, events that simply happen and um, that influence all of us. So the, the important thing is to try to have a clear alignment between you as an individual, your group, uh, your organization, society, and the world. And when you can have that alignment, which I call the noble art of scaling, when you can see what you do in the light of the events that you observe, then actually you've arrived at a, a 
position where you have a certain calm, you have a robustness. Inner peace. Inner peace, yes, actually feeling a meaning. And that is what I work on together with the people I coach and the people I write together with. They, uh, we, we try to find a way of reducing friction in your system. And um, Do you believe in karma? Uh, I think that, uh, well, karma, as far as I see it, is uh, reinvention or, let's say, being reborn. I don't necessarily believe in rebirth, but, uh, and I don't believe in faith. Uh, however, I believe in you creating, through your choices, a meaning that will give you strength and which will make you succeed according to your own success criteria. And, and that's the important thing, you know, succeeding according to your own measure of success. Mm. That, that's when you become happy. You become happy when you succeed in something that you have decided will make you happy. <laughs> And, and it could be your business, it could be your partner, it could be, um, you know, maybe working for a cause. And it is probably individual. So it just boils down to your original point that I mentioned, which was that your happiness is your expectations. Yes. And then meeting them. And my, I believe very much in the written word. That's why I'm so happy that I've actually you know, written a book, because it means that I've committed myself. I had the courage to commit my opinions and, and getting clear uh, thinking into there. Uh, so I believe very much in also in the uh, documentation of your thoughts because it they will progress, they will become better, they will become clearer, they will become stronger and uh, more meaningful. And that's why the, the whole concept of the personal business plan is actually a, um, a framework that you can fill out and you can use it and you can take it out again and you can confront yourself with what you've written down. Uh, and actually, it is downloadable. I have a, a framework which I put on uh, my, on the book's website, mm. which is called thepersonalbusinessplan.com, and it's free. It's simply a, a toolkit. It's 38 pages of toolkit where I put in you know 30 existential questions, and you can go through them, and it can help you. It is actually a way of getting you know your thoughts aligned and getting some freedom. Uh, in your thought. And then when you've written it down, you know, it's not necessarily that you'll be able to uh, follow it or implement it just around the corner, just in about, you know, a couple of minutes, but you might having, you know, taking it uh, forward again in six months time, then you'll look at, wow, I said that, well, I better do it now. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all great to have a personal business plan and I have a blueprint, but Usually life gets in the way, doesn't it? I mean, as John Lennon said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. That, that's completely right. And uh, that's where you need to have it documented because if it's only thoughts, if it's only uh, vaporware, then it will disappear. However, if you put it into a plan, write it down, you will reconnect to it and you'll see if you go in the right direction. Uh, and I firmly believe that you can influence life. You know? Uh, I'm absolutely um, aware that even though I have a life ambition of living to I'm 100 years old and living happily till I'm 100 years old, I know that I be run down by a bus coming out of uh, my home, walking into the street. So I perfectly know that you can, you know, be hit by cancer or that your child can be run over by a truck. Uh, I know that personal crises, life crises, occur. And uh, so I'm, I'm not disclaiming anything here. I'm not living in la-la land, you know. Mm. Um, but I'm also firmly convinced that if you have the courage to commit yourself to certain objectives, then you will succeed. And uh, you will also enjoy yourself immensely on the journey. And, and that's one part of the trick, you know. It, one part of the life is enjoying yourself during the journey instead of only um, let's say being satisfied when you reach the, um, the goal. Mm. So I was I was going to ask you if you could establish three points for us of establishing a professional career, and obviously that's one of them is enjoying your journey and having having the goal. I, I think uh, this is actually fascinating because I've changed my way of thinking over the last six or seven years. Um, 
I've been thinking about this book since 96. Let's say that's where the framework existed, but I've probably been working on it uh, for a period of four years now. Yeah. And uh, during that period, I've read and studied since 2003, I've uh, studied a lot of uh, literature and uh, research about happiness. And in the beginning, let's say from 2003 and up to 2006, what I thought was that successful people became happy. Mm. And I've changed that now. So I'm now convinced that the causality is the opposite, which means that happy people become successful. Okay. And uh, so that's quite a challenge because that means that, okay, Sylvia, you've got to be happy. <laughs> but I need money to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest will come. And but, but from a conceptual point of view, it's really interesting because it means that you can actually uh, become successful by forcing yourself to be happy, you know, and to be satisfied. Uh, so the, uh, the I think this is the this is a chicken and egg yes, argument. Which one oh. comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yes, and I've uh, I've changed. So I used to say that success was necessary for happiness, and then I've changed until saying now that happiness is necessary for success. And so you, you need to keep a certain amount of lightheartedness mm. and, uh, and joy in, in your daily operations. That goes also for entrepreneurs. You know, you need to be able to keep um, the perspective, keep the um, the reason why you're doing this, and the reason why you're doing this is to, in the end, be happy. But how do you stay positive if you're trying to start your own business in times of austerity and, you know, there's a lack of money, you can't enjoy certain luxuries? How do you stay positive? Thinking about your long-term goal and uh, also you probably read uh, lots of books of entrepreneurs. There's uh, one talking about uh, uh, pivot or persevere where you um, uh, mentioned that in my book also, the, um, the most important thing is to find out when do you stop persevering? Because, of course, if you're not approaching your goal, if you're not becoming better, if you're not developing your um, solution so it better fits the needs of the clients and if there's no demand for your product, um, at a certain point in time, you need to pivot, you need to do something else. And, of course, that is, you know, a mercy killing, killing your your baby. Um, <laughs> but, but that is probably one of the biggest um, challenges for entrepreneurs to be able to actually say no and then stop doing what you're doing and try finding something new. Mm. The the uh, My best advice to entrepreneurs is to be very decisive, be very focused, be very hardworking. And then if it doesn't work out, during the time perspective you set for yourself as a successful time perspective, then stop doing it. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to say that you can, you, you can waste your life on, on something which is not original. If it's not original enough or differentiated enough, then, well, you won't succeed. Mm. Um, so I, I've asked all the questions that I, I had to ask, and I think you've answered them really well. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I think you have a refreshing insight on the work-life balance. So my parting question is, do you think you've achieved work-life balance and happiness? To be honest, I've just finished a phase of um, writing the book, then making you know, the publishing process is, as everybody knows, a uh, quite harsh process because uh, there's lots of work involved in that. Uh, then I made the website uh, and I'm happy, very happy with both um, the results. So the, uh, the hardships doesn't mind, it doesn't matter much when you're very satisfied with the result. Mm. Now I'm working with on the third phase, which is actually the, the launch of, uh, of the book worldwide. And I'm doing that together with the publisher Wiley and together with Conferry International and and that is very giving also, you know, being coming into lots of, of uh, positive interrelationships and uh, knowing you know, a lot of interesting people. Um, so that's the next step then for you? 
Yeah, that, that's a global launch, which is exciting also because um, I've, I've done lots of launches in, from a marketing perspective in Coca-Cola and in L'Oreal, for example. I launched hundreds of products, but it's different when it's your own baby <laughs> crap there. So um, it, it is very interesting. And, and to be honest, I, uh, I think that the, um, I have achieved a, um, a balance between work and, and life. And actually, I prefer to say that work is a part of life. So it's not an alternative, either work or life. Uh, you could also... It is just life. It, it is just life, actually. And um, I think that I've invested, let's say, time and energy in developing something and that it, it will now live its own life and that I'll be able to... Um, benefit from the freedom and from the the learning that I've had. And for example, today our conversation here is a, is a clear example of something that I like doing. I think it's interesting. I've learned something from you. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, thinking thoughts that I, uh, that where I haven't had the same connections before. So I, I think it's, it's a way of learning a, a good paradigm of living. Yeah, it's always fun to connect the dots. It's wonderful. And therefore, the, uh, uh, my, my honest answer to you regarding work-life balance is that the, the lines are blurring between you know, work and, and free time. And uh, I think really that I'm able to navigate this uh, both-and concept of both working and living with lots of flexibility and independence. And that's probably also what life is about, you know, finding a, a position or establishing a position where you can have a certain um, idea of yourself governing, governing your life. And I'm not saying that this is the only way, but at least if, if I didn't feel satisfied with what I've been doing, I would have been a bad author. Because <laughs> it simply wouldn't work. So I, I deep down feel the need to be a role model and therefore I need also to limit myself when I'm derailing or getting to too much work. Or mm. is there. So I need to be able to remain you know calm and robust and have a certain overview and therefore the whole way of putting down this ambition and putting down the framework putting it into words means that uh, i it's a, it's an excellent self-governing tool because i i know when i'm doing something which is not good for me yeah it's something to be proud of definitely yeah i'm, I'm really <laughs> thankful also for having had the opportunity and also you know being able to contribute to changing hundreds people's lives because it's really it's great to to get this connection and, and creating lots of, of happiness in the world and it, it seems a bit you know naive to have this thinking but it, it, again it, it is it is a meaning there's a meaning contributing so there you have it it's possible <laughs> i, think, I so. think our listeners will be very glad to hear that and will be uh doing their best to follow some of your advice so, well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Stephen. You too. I wish you the very best of luck with your book. And uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully speaking again in, in a few years' time and seeing what's next for you. Please come back anytime. And I've enjoyed the conversation hugely. The The podcast. The podcast. The podcast.